Hello and welcome to World in Union, Balls.ie's weekly rugby show, getting an outside perspective on Irish rugby and the game itself. I'm Mick McCarthy, joined as always by the one and only Morris Broslin. How are you? Great, Mick. Yeah, how about you? I was trying to give you a nickname off the, off, just, just off the top of my head there, but nothing was coming <laughs> to me. I was going to go the Connacht something, but yeah. No, just, just to put people inside my weird brain that I decided to do that halfway through the sentence and it didn't quite work out, hence a, the pause. I had a friend who listened to last week's show with Charlie Morgan and afterwards said, and he meant this kind of generally, you're kind of like a pound shop Charlie Morgan. <laughs> you are? Yeah. Okay, Okay. well there you go and I'll just start this again. Uh, I'm Mick McCarthy, joined as always by the pound shop Charlie Morgan, Morris Frostland. <laughs> so that's a shout out to Jamie there. <laughs> yeah, oh well, look, a good line even if I disagree with it vehemently. Yeah. You know, as, as my partner here, I will say that there's no, there's nothing pound shop about you, Morris. Um, anyway, look, that's probably the happiest we'll be on this show because we are unfortunately on the back of of a uh, crushing, um, you know, crash back down to earth, I suppose, for, for Ireland. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Obviously, you know what goes on. What happened at the weekend, Ireland losing 32-20 to England at the Aviva Stadium, our home winning record gone, our first defeat in the home in the Six Nations since 2013, Grand Slam gone. It's all down and out, really. But we do play Scotland this weekend, so we have to look ahead to that, and we'll look at what changes need to be made. We're also going to talk to Josh Gardner, who is one half of the Blood and Mud podcast. He's also the owner and um, guy who runs RugbyShirtWatch.com. So we'll talk a little bit about rugby shirts with him. But the reason we're talking to Josh is because he got into a pretty funny um, Twitter spat with the one and only Austin Healy uh, during the week. Um, basically because Austin Healy called him a snowflake for suggesting that safe rugby <laughs> was something that should happen. But, you know, more than a Twitter spat, we're going to talk to Josh about just exactly why pundits and the pundit class I suppose have a responsibility to you know not dismiss safety concerns you know if rugby is basically to continue as a top level sport with a lot of players that has insurance and everything else so it's actually a very interesting conversation um, that we're going to have with Josh so uh, stay tuned for that also a return this week of the rolling team of the series that we do we've previously did the rolling team of the november internationals back in november now it's going to be the rolling team of the six nations with morris as your your guide um so stay tuned to that an interesting first week are we going to get a spoiler yeah. no, 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 no no irish players yeah there's no irish players yet and i think we had 14 of them by the end of november <laughs> <laughs> so look anyway that's the place to start i suppose what happened yeah, like I mean, <laughs> so I think there's like um, this is my psychology session. There's kind of there's two ways of kind of looking at the game. Like there's the idea about how just Ireland were kind of dominated, and you know, like when you say dominated, I think a lot of people immediately associate that with physically, and I I don't necessarily think it was just that. I mean, no, like, but it was that too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But I mean, on top of that, like there's there's intricacies within that that like I yeah. think they were dominated tactically, massively yeah. tactically. Like I think the England has some really kind of clever strike players or ways to counter the way Ireland were trying to play. Like they took away basically every weapon that they've held dear for the last year in terms of, you know, their kicking strategy, the line out, they really counted them there. They brought the scrum way lower and made that kind of life pretty difficult there too. Yeah. And scrum was kind of a non-factor, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, I mean, there was no, we never got it on top either, which is like, it's a weapon taken away without us ever being in trouble there. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and again, that, well, that goes back to, you've got like two scrumming up against, you know, a line in Vinopola and somebody like Sinclair who spent mm, a lot of time. a line as well, yeah. yeah and, and kind of would have that down too. I guess like the, I think there's like a lot of ways to analyze the game, but the, the biggest one, I think, is just the way that how well coached England were. I think that was my kind of main takeaway. Like, this was a team that, like, you can say the reason I didn't want to stress the fact, the idea that they were out fought necessarily is because they're also out taught. And I think mm-hmm. if you were to if you were to break down this game and make a hierarchy of where Ireland need to get it right, that's at your top. Like, it's not this stuff about whether or not Henshaw should be playing a fullback or Keith Earls yeah. or subs like that's it's all important it's all factors but they're not the the at the very top of your hierarchy is how the team was set up and it's a problem that when you don't have go forward ball Sexton drops back five yards and it slows down everything from that so yeah. that your strike plays you don't come within a sniff of a try other than a off a a line out off them all, you know, like yeah. that, that. That's a that's a bigger issue, I think. Than can I agree with you on that being the top of the list, but add another issue that that is definitely related, right? Because the tactics a hundred percent come into this. But 
Ireland weren't as up for the game as England. Because, and I'll, I'll just give you the example of how we know this is true. I'm not just talking about the mad eyes of Johnny May and Owen Farrell and um, who was the other one that stood out for me? Bill, Bill, Billy Finapola. Like, yeah. every time you seen them, they were just, like, going absolutely crazy. You know, um, and it wasn't just that Eddie Jones talked about how this was the one game that they were talking about and all of, and, you know, everything in their build-up to the Six Nations about Ireland, 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 Ireland. And that's great. That's good coaching. That's the, mm. that, that was the way they targeted it. But even in just line speed. Now, we, I felt, were half a yard slower off the line than we normally are. England were a yard and a half faster. Like, they were insane. So many times I thought England were offside. Yeah. And I'm not saying they weren't a little bit as well. But every time when I specifically saw the replay, absolutely sure they were offside. There was one with Courtney Laws in the second half where he got, I think it was Ringrose. Man and ball, yeah. Man and ball. And there was no way he wasn't offside. There was no way he could have got there that fast. But if you watch it in the replay, he timed it to perfection, came at an angle, didn't come straight. Everything about it was just absolutely perfect. England were on an edge. Now, Laws is always good at that. But England were on the absolute edge for 80 minutes and, I mean, and that's really hard to do at any level like yeah. I mean but they played 100% and Ireland played about maybe 70 at best it was a poor performance by Ireland mixed with probably the best England performance you'll ever see which included desire and everything else as well as top tactics and a lot of skill yeah and like I mean I guess like the there's a simple explanation for that too like the England had ample motivation for this game like think about last year like Ireland kind of making it a non-cast us by the second half mm. think about the ending the Grand Slam there in England like the this is a team that they, I think they had lined up for a long time like it was mm. quite, quite clearly that they were they were stewing about it I mean I guess the to a very 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 top team though that shouldn't matter yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, what did, I suppose if you look at, we do have off days, we can't do it every day. We target in New Zealand in November and we're poor in the other games. If you yeah. want to think about it that way, you know, it does, you can target a team yeah. and I understand that and you can do every, you can go, whereas Ireland are probably looking at the Six Nations as a whole and it yeah. does hurt you. But at the same time, I just don't know why it's your first game, it's England, it's going to be the one that you're going to look at more than the rest of them. Why weren't we more at the races? I think there's more than just attitude at it in it as well. Like oh, I think, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm using it. I'm saying there is a bit of attitude. I'm course, not saying it's yeah. the only thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, like, a, for example, I think the defensive line, like John Mitchell seems to have that down. I really like the idea of Ben Young's kind of like hunting himself. Like he's going in and hunting halfbacks. So they're kind of, it's like a, like a dual press for want of a better phrase. Mm. Do you know, like the, I think the biggest takeaway is what they do next. Like it's not what, the result was bad, of course it was bad, but it's how they react that you'd kind of define this team or Definitely. judge this team. And yeah. especially now that they've kind of been decimated by injuries, that it's like, where, what, what do you do with your centre partnership now? Because mm. I actually think both centres played well at the weekend, really well, but it's really hard when you've got a half-back partnership who aren't yeah. as operative. So like, where does that send? Where do you Zaki in attack, I suppose, didn't make any impact kind of going forward because we didn't have any go-forward ball, but he wasn't creating it either. But obviously, Ringlows especially, I thought played very well. And yeah. And Aki obviously was good in defence. We didn't make too many massive defensive, you know, line mistakes or anything like that, you know? Yeah, I think it's hard for him, though. Like, it's hard for Bondi Aki to be a carrier when you're kind of comparing him against Manu Tualagi. Like, it's a guy who is a yeah. one-in-a-lifetime kind of type of ball carrier. I also think there's other aspects of Aki that could have been better utilised, but I just think it's it's really hard when you're th- those couple of yards deeper. Because, like, Texan clearly recognised that this was a defensive line that was unbelievably highly strong and come up quickly. Mm. So and, that, and like a natural disposition to that is to withdraw slightly further into your pocket. Yeah. And then on top of that, like if if you're looking into your backfield, whether this is Murray or Sexton, and you see a guy like Benny Vinopolo there, you're less inclined to kick mm. the ball to them, which means you have to carry it into this massive wall. Like they really they pen Ireland in, you know, like the even the idea of what they did with the like the escorts, like guys running in lines to try and make sure that they couldn't compete in the air. Or on the same time, you know, kicking to Keith Darrell so he can't compete in the air. If he's busy catching the ball and in a breakdown off the next kick, he's on the floor. You know, he yeah. can't he can't compete. And he's a guy who I think is for one of the best box chase kickers in the world because he's so brave and he gets such like length into his competitions in the air. You know, mm. that, that kind of jump, like the classic example is France last year in the Six Nations when he got up off the ground and made that amazing catch. And that's all stuff that like that is they, Ireland were not like it wasn't the you know, this idea, like, oh, Ireland where, you know, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, the old Mike Tyson quote. Ireland were just as well, countered well. Like, when Ireland tried to punch England in the face, the counters, how they responded to what Ireland do, they didn't, like, it wasn't just a team that, 
you know, played to their own strengths. They took away Ireland's as well. Like that's yeah. what made it such an impressive performance. We can read more of your analysis on, you know, a little bit more on what you just said there on uh, on Bosley. You did a, a really good piece about England's kicking game and and what how they targeted Ireland um, yesterday, which you you can see on site. Um, in terms of it being what happens next, that was what I ended up writing mm-hmm. about on Saturday. Was you know like you know we we did hear all the usual suspects and uh, talking about how we won a friendly in november and how you know six nations last year didn't really mean anything and now it's a now it's a rugby world cup year and everybody's going to be up a level i think what we have to understand is that you it is definitely too soon to make any real um conclusions about ireland i mean we have started tournaments poor before we like last year's game against france was our worst performance in the tournament our worst performance of the year i would say you know of all of 2018 and you know they will come into it and they'll find and 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 schmidt will find where how people are targeting him and adjust that's what happens when you're targeted you do need to kind of see what's been brought at you before you can kind of adjust so I, i i think that there is a kind of a there's definitely a little bit of possibly an overreaction action to us losing a game against a very 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 good team who were up for it yeah. but also there was poor performances and I don't think that we can think that Conor Murray is ever going to play as badly for Ireland again I thought Johnny Sexton was really poor I thought Robbie Henshaw regardless of his positioning didn't have a good game Keith Earls regardless of the way he was targeted didn't play well for the half that he was on Tyg Furlong had no impact in the loose or in the scrum probably not going to happen again you know there was a yeah. lot of that CJ Sanders gone around with a broken cheek. <laughs> he wasn't exactly making the yards he was he's used to doing. So there's a lot of individual things as well as the tactical, you know, like sometimes it works against you because you don't have that platform. I understand that, but also people just didn't play to their potential. Yeah. And you can kind of see that like these guys very very proud professional players are going to are going to turn that around even if it's in team meetings and the coaching is left out of it this week. Yeah. Heading to Murrayfield. Like I I mean the Henshaw thing, I think that like that's the one. Might as well talk about that now because I think it's one of the main takeaways that's come away from thing. And I, I'm kind of, I'm, I was loath to be drawn in that discussion during the week because I feel like it's your like there was. I've seen people argue that if we'd have fit Rob Kearney, we'd have won won the game, which is just no. We weren't going to win the game regardless of refereeing decisions or who was playing yeah. at fullback or anything. And just because we're in the game doesn't mean it was ever really going our way. Yeah, we were. We couldn't get out of our own half. Yeah, that had nothing to do with kicks in behind hurting us. And I actually, I think maybe that was part of the reason that Henshaw was picked was because when you miss players like Henderson or like, I know Sean O'Brien wasn't fit, Dan Levy obviously wasn't fit. The what that means in terms of your ball carriers, I think he might have been included as a presence there to try and counter this, you know, unbelievably physical England team. And you actually saw that when he stood into the line and tried to carry. But on the, at the same time, I think like the, I think there has to be kind of some sort of element of understanding about how difficult the job, any job has to be when he plays. Like I went back over it before we came on air today. And the last time an Ireland fullback has played well against tier one nation, other than Rob Kearney, was the 2017 game when Jared Payne played fullback. Mm. And since then, nobody has been able to manage it because it's such a demanding position. It's nearly as specialist as a front row is now in this Ireland system because yeah. of the, the, what they're what you're asking of them. On, you know, on both sides of the ball, like you're not talking about this guy who can step into the line of, attacking the way Robbie Henshaw does. He has to cover such a phenomenal amount of ground on the other side of the ball. And because of that, and because of the idea that there's still a reliance, I think you stick with him. Like I don't think you. It's a. I think it's a knee jerk reaction. I think you have to. But like this, the whole point of this has to be on one eye on on the World Cup. So even with Ring, so Ringrose is injured. Yeah. So even with Ringrose out and Rob Carney available, you don't think we need to rescue no. the Six Nations I and th- go with the team that's probably best, which is Henshaw thirteen and or 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 Aki at thirteen probably and Henshaw and twelve and Carney yeah. fifteen. You think stick with it and bring in Chris Farrell? Yeah, I th- I think Chris Farrell should come in. Or like I mean, um, I know. A lot, like I know Schmidt is a big fan of Addison as well. I think you bring in a guy like Chris Farrell. Think back to his performance against Wales last year. But then if does. you bring in Addison and you're playing, who's basically a guy who's full back in the centre, so that you can play a centre of full back to try and get a long term. Yeah. I, I don't really understand the logic of it. I do. You know, we've actually had one Test match in the past three years where we've had. Aki, Ringrose and, and Henshaw available. I think dismissing, or not dismissing, but like trying to build up Henshaw as a full back is a risky move for one of the best centres in the world who's probably going to play for Leinster in the centre. And 
is just as equally as important a position that where where we need him too, you know. Yeah, like I, I think that, and, and he knows how to play there. And he, the same reason, like it's the, for the same reason that I want Joy Carberry to get two starts in this tournament, or for the same reason I think Ty Byrne has to play. I think you have to play a different fullback for at least two games in this tournament because you have to have a second option. And right now we don't. Yeah, like okay. We don't, yeah, we don't yeah. have one, and that's a massive problem. Well, we've won in Paris, but sure, he's. Yeah, I mean, and that's another debate. Entirely. Has he not somebody yeah. who's played well for Ireland, the fullback in the last... Wait, see, he played in the wing in the New Zealand game in 2016. He didn't mm. play uh, at fullback. And then that's actually, Schmidt seemed to trust him more on the wing when he was around. Yeah. And then at Munster, he all of a sudden became a... like So that Munster lost Felix Jones kind of unexpectedly and suddenly Zebo burst on as this amazing fullback who yeah, was okay. also really good at his boot as well. Like, and, I guess, and I guess, like, and you're looking at it from an Irish perspective, I think that maybe the idea with Henshaw is that that versatility is something that will count when you're talking about 31-man panel in, mm. as opposed to... And maybe that just... Like, maybe even if the, a less, fair point, yeah. if the lesson from this week, from whatever happens this weekend, is that actually you can't do that. Like, you can't take a hit unless you need somebody who's just a specialist fullback and that's his job, which is obviously Rob Kearney. Mm. Then, fair enough. But you have to find that out. You know, you have to... I think that there has to be an emphasis on discovering that as well, which is... Like, I, I, I really do hope he plays there. I hope that... Okay. Can I ask you more about Henshaw then, right, briefly, and we will get yeah. off this week, but it's, it's been the most talked about thing, but you've watched the game back, you've analysed it, right, in my memory of the game, he made three positional mistakes, he, sorry, he was out of position three times, I think maybe two of them were his fault, I think one was on a break, there was no way he could have been in position, I thought all three times he actually did incredibly well to recover. once and yeah. recovered, and didn't lose the ball, didn't give away a penalty, and actually showed an, an awful lot of composure once he was there, but he had been, he was he was caught three times. Yeah. Okay, so that's too many times, and you would say that's a negative on his performance. As for fullback work specifically, not just sure, things sure. that Robbie Henshaw does well in the game. What did he do well? What was on the plus part that you say it's worth another try this like, week? For example, like the, I know this is something Kearney does really well as well. Like it's not a slide on Kearney. No, 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 of yeah. course not. But for for the experiment, like, for like, we need a backup. Like, who there was there was two moments I think that showed the joy with a guy like Henshaw. There was a moment in the first half. It actually turned out to be a penalty because after he so there was the kick in response to the kick for when Earls was taken out. The ball was kicked forward and for the Itoji one. And if you look at the kick chaser on that, it's Robbie Henshaw. And he gets, like, so he starts beyond, because he's behind Errors, expecting him to take the catch, but returns and gets up and knocks it back. Like his ability to compete in the air. And at the, the same time, the second half, I think he was actually going out for a line out. And again, he got up in the air and did amazingly well, like a really athletic flick back down towards Stockdale to keep the ball in play. Like that's somebody who can compete. I'm talking about compete on your own kick here, you know, like in terms of a kick chase here. A guy like Keith Errors, by the way, Keith Errors does that as well. Mm. I think on the other side as well, like he was, ex- he was exposed positionally, I think. But he's exposed because of, like, he was exposed in a what might be a defunct system. So, say, for example, there was the, the moment when he nearly carried the ball back over the, the try line. Mm. What happened there was that Johnny May stood in beside, if you watch it back, Johnny May is standing on the inside of Farrell. He's not standing on his wing, he's right alongside Farrell. So, because of that, Earls tucks in. So, in that scenario, you either drop two players into your backfield. So, somebody like Stockdale, kind of like on a string, would be lower. And then Henshaw could drop into that space where Earls is left vacant. Or you drop like your foot, your scrum half, your nine would drop back off a lineup. And Ireland didn't need it. They just left Henshaw to cover all that open space. And that doesn't like, there's no sense. I remember watching um, Gavin Duffy, the old Connets, like fullback coach, uh, a back three, just a back three on a field. And he was, he had the fullback kicking a ball and it was like a three-man weave. Like the fullback would kick the ball, the winger would slot in where the fullback was, the other winger would push up and they just slowly rotate in, like, like on a string. It was like a tandem yeah. every time you're filling across. And all of a sudden, you take out those other two players to do that tandem. That all that leaves is space. That's mm. that's what I got exposed there. Ireland got exposed because of that that space. Too many men and in then, the line. And so if like if you're gonna, I think personally, like I, I actually like if Stockdale Stockdale is trying to get up into line constantly. That's what happened for the try. He tried to get up into line. The ball kicked kicked in behind him. As opposed to it, sometimes it'd be okay to just cover the backfield. Like sometimes you just need to rely on a, a scramble, a light defense. And like, I think maybe sometimes it's okay to take that sacrifice, especially when you've got. Like massive ball carriers and players are going to dominate collisions the way the way England just are now, right? Fascinating <laughs> stuff, and actually, yeah, I'm worrying. And I have to say, you learn something every time uh, we have a chat. But uh, usually, it's not from me. 
being honest <laughs> but uh, that is absolutely fascinating and something definitely to watch for this week um, against Scotland in Murrayfield a place where I don't know I just have this fear of I was in I'm away this weekend I'm going to be in Birmingham watching the game I'm okay, going to an yeah, Aston Villa yeah. match on, on Friday and the last time we played in Murrayfield I was away for the weekend in Liverpool and <laughs> watched the game as uh, the entire pub of English and Scottish people cheered on like lunatics of Scotland remember there was the, the Dunbar in the, in the line out yeah, and yeah. they just caught us on the hop and we just felt beaten from about 50 60 minutes and even though we came back and then yeah, yeah it just yeah. felt like yeah we came back and then it was a gut punch straight away exactly, and yeah, yeah 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 like so i just have this have have a worry about this game i have to say and um mainly just for weird personal reasons but it's not going to be easy. They have a lot no. to prove. Scotland got their, you know, they did what I'd love us to have a chance to do, which is kind of have the warm-up game against Italy. Finn Russell is going to kick the letter off the ball. Is it, yeah. If, if we can, you know, if we can take what they did last week, which you presume is if Gregor Townsend, you would imagine his role was finding last week is like, let's practice our game plan against Ireland. Why wouldn't you, you know, maybe without giving away a couple of secrets. So what do Ireland have to do? We're gonna, not going to have ring rows. We're not going to have uh, toner. We're not going to have stander. The other 12, I think, looks like they're going to be yeah, there. Okay, yeah. But yeah. do you make any other changes? So, yeah, well, like, um, there's two different things. There's two different conversations here. I think we've had this, we said this before. Like, there's the team that you would like to see start and the team that you think will start, which are two very different things. Mm. So, let's go like to them because I think yeah. what's going to happen is he's either going to bring in Carney and move yeah. Henshaw to the centre or he's going to bring in, um, he's going he's gonna to leave Farrell. Henshaw there and bring yeah. in Chris Farrell to yeah. the centre. And that's basically a Quinn Rue is going to start, I would imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily agree with him. We'll talk about that in a second, um, in the second row. And, I think he might bring in Conan and not O'Brien and leave O'Brien as as an impact player yeah. from the bench. But again, that's that could uh, that could go either way. But that's what we're kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. But now it's kind of what do we want? What would actually be the thing to do? I, I think the thing to the thing to do for the same reasons that we talked about. That I'm I'm not talking about taking a free hit, but you just have to bear in mind that the idea, like in an ideal world you, for a World Cup squad, you'd have a bunch of players who are like mid twenties and they'd have twenty five plus caps in their familiar position. If we were to stick with bring back drop it back in Kearney and Kearney gets injured, for example, in a World Cup game, your next choice fullback will all have less than five in the starting mm. position. You've got somebody like Will Addison who's played one game at fullback. You've got Jordan Lammer who's only played once and then on the wing he's also been at thirteen. And you've got Henshaw, so that's not a good enough option. Like no. you need a guy who's played there and Conway more. maybe and has only played y- on the wing. I think yeah, even though he could cover it, yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, the reason that like you can say, oh, they've played there at their provinces or something, but it's a different role when you're at the province when you've got two guys like you're not covering as much ground you actually have a back three you know as opposed to a back one it's a, it's a like it's kind of night and day the differences so based on that I think you should start Henshaw I think there's nothing wrong with playing a guy like Chris Farrell also if Ireland did look I think we both agree that Ireland looked kind of blunt in their ball carrying that you kind of yeah. didn't dominate that that's Chris Farrell is your ideal guy to yeah. come back in there and the impact he would make and then like the second row thing it looks yeah it does look like reports today stress that when we was going to start I'd be really disappointed in that. I think the when you've got a guy as explosive as Ulton Delan who's kind of worked really hard to retain his form and also like the, the stuff that Kinru does well, like his in terms of it, you know, the, the tight stuff like in terms of his he calls Lions in um in Connacht, his tight five work. A guy like Ulton Delan like that I think that is the problem right now. That's not what they need. I mm. would have thought. I think you need somebody explosive. Well not when you've got a matinee. You do miss Toner in the lineup, but at least you know, if a man is injured, I think you need two line-out specialists, mm-hmm. you know, and, and especially if someone like Toner isn't there to to call it and everything like that. But sure, he sure. does, he's basically an extra second row there. So I'd agree. I think that there's no dynamism there. And what we really, really miss is like, we just need a guy who can just do something unexpected. Sean Cronin, the game was over, right? It doesn't matter. And I'm not advocating dropping Rory Best or anything like that. I thought Best played, had one of the better performances from, from an Irish point of view. but Sean Cronin offered something that nobody else in the entire Irish team did. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. I know he, he ran through the middle of the ruck and that was clever, but also it was just more that he was there trying things, running with the ball. Ireland were so static yeah. in attack. I don't know what it is. I, we'd always look like it at our worst. 
Now, we could say that we're playing deep for Sexton wraparounds that he was being hit as he passed, so he never had the chance to do, and that's England. And I, I agree completely that the English defensive system hampered us. Yeah. But I don't understand why guys are taking passes, vertical passes, standing still, constantly from from another player standing still so there's no go forward at all we're literally we can go 20 30 yards backwards and three passes and we couldn't get out of our own half and it's a style that i'm sure has its benefits and if ireland have been you know ireland have been doing it with better success but you know what is the what is the virtue of it? We had absolutely no go forward ball, and when we don't do those wide passes that go ridiculously deep, we're playing in little pods that are easy to defend against. Now, like yeah, and I guess like the like that that's the stuff that this Ireland team have always been good at that kind of tight stuff. Like the you know they don't take like the fifty fifty or sixty forty kind of risk ever, mm. and maybe like Ulster is more disposed to doing that. But like even on top of that, like the way. But he's a ball carrier, and he's uh, like he's exactly. unpredictable yeah. in the same way as Cronin is. And if we can't afford to have Cronin in there, you know, and Ian Henderson is like that, or Burn, you know, when yeah. they're in there as well. But they they're not available either. James Ryan is a good ball carrier. He's a kind of a Paul O'Connell less ball carrier, but he's not in that bracket. You know, Sean O'Brien's going to be probably on the bench and probably isn't ready for eighty minutes rugby. He's someone who can do it. Who else is? Yeah, no, I agree. We've got with you. nobody in the forwards like that can it, carry the ball. I think if the Connacht have deployed like a, I think Connacht are actually the best coach team in about uh, the four provinces right now in terms of the way they're playing right now. And I think a lot of that is down to maximizing their players at their disposal. And when you look at a guy like Ulster Land, oftentimes he's not actually standing in the lineup. They use like a four or five man lineup, but he's the first up carrier off that. Like he's that kind of explosive option. You know, like he's your, like he's the guy who puts the finishing touches and all this kind of stuff. Now you can still have, like I think Ireland still have that, the bending to maximise that. And then you've got a guy like, I just I think it would be a shame if you don't utilise that while it's at your disposal, particularly given the <clears throat> the injuries that they currently have. What about the back row then? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, I don't know, does, I thought Sean O'Brien would come on earlier at the weekend. Does mm. that suggest that he doesn't have 80 minutes yeah. in the tank? I would wonder about it. I think from Jack Collins' point of view, he would really hope to be involved because if he's not, I think that makes his prospects for Japan incredibly unlikely. So yeah. I really think from his own and perspective. Conan was there for two or three games for Six Nations, like Grand Slam. It's not as if he's untrusted or untested at this level either. So, yeah, I can see I can see Conan starting at eight without Sander there. Yeah. You know, a specialist eight. You know, we're talking about how great Sean O'Brien would be at an eight, but do you really throw him in after playing it twice for Leinster? And throw him in and, and into a massive muscle. Yeah, I think game the, the biggest thing is just the, is is match fitness. Like I just I would, mm. I wonder. I thought it was re- I uh, like the this is I mean this is the luxury of hindsight analysis. But I thought the timing of changes at the weekend was really weird. Like I thought the yeah. you could have made a lot of the, I think nearly all of the last four changes could have been made five minutes earlier. In, yeah. in terms of Cronin, uh, Cooney definitely. I think. I know Carberry was coming on for an injury, but I just think that those were things that could have happened earlier. But sure, like again, we'll see that this weekend. Like I think the it'll be as equally interesting to see the bench he goes with. Like, does he pursue with Jordan Lamer, or like is there any chance that Will Allison comes in there? Like all that stuff will be um will be interesting to watch out for t- when the team is in tomorrow. Yeah. Look, we'll find out tomorrow anyway, and um we'll know more. Look, there's gonna be a lot of nerves, I think, building up to tomorrow. <laughs> Are building up to Saturday this week. I think that's just the natural, uh, the natural consequence of what happened on Saturday. But you know, as I said to you last week, and I was proved wrong, is that you do have to have some faith in this team, sure. having all they've achieved. And I think we give them another week anyway to at least prove themselves in to what won't be an easy place to win, uh, Murrayfield this year. But uh, look, we've got more to come. We'll uh, we'll do the team in the Six Nations, and we'll talk a little bit about the under twenties um, Irish team who beat England. Um, I was down there in Cork on, for that on Friday night. We'll talk about the the women's team as well who who you know showed some good signs in their ultimate defeat in Donnybrook to England but right now I want to talk to um, Josh Gardner who's on the line Josh is one half of the Blood and Mud podcast and also the owner and um, operator of RugbyShirtWatch.com Josh how are you thanks a million for joining us I look too bad thanks for having me on Jim no worries, no worries. Listen, Josh, I have to say, um, we we've been uh, we've we've been on Rugby Shirt Watch before, and we and we knew the site, um, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But you personally came to our attention in the last couple of days because of a a, a Twitter spat, let's say, with um, known pundit, wind up merchant, former England international, and uh, general all round good guy Austin Healy, um, <laughs> which resulted in you being sorry. 
He's just a lovely, cuddly, family but. <laughs> uh, what did poor Austin do to get to get your backup so much? You know, this defenseless guy. Um, you know, with his little television <laughs> I mean, show. I mean, I'll tell you what. It, it was under normal circumstances, I probably would have just not done anything. But I literally, I got off the red eye flight from LA on Sunday, turned my phone on, and the first thing that I got was uh, Austin TV sending me. A bunch of snowflake emoticons <laughs> that I had uh, drawn attention to the fact that maybe uh, Manny too like clear out uh, during the Island England game on the weekend was perhaps mm. a little bit illegal and dangerous. Um, and yeah, and the normal circumstances, we could ignore it, but it kind of really ran me up. And not I called in a bell end, and it just got very out of hand from there. I ended up with him having some sort of weird tiff with a weird and sports scientist, which I'm delighted to have in some way engineered but uh, yeah yeah that, that's Ross Tucker who's science of sport who people like a lot of people in Ireland will know for various different interviews he's done about cycling doping and and and, and different things in rugby as well and um yeah, yeah very very interesting look I think look we all kind of know the type of character Austin Healy is and he, he's he's a wind-up yeah. merchant yeah. and he is yeah. a bit of a clown really um but it does kind of speak to a wider point. It was interesting because I'd seen the same two laggy clip that was going around and I'd saw it live in the game and I was kind of waiting even for the Irish commentators to bring it up. Me and Morris spoke to um, Ben Cisneros a few weeks ago um, yeah. and we talked about the, the Rook and the, the basically how the laws of the Rook weren't being applied. And I think rather than two laggies you know, um, offence being a dirty, out-of-the-ordinary tackle. It just was more like, no, this sums it, up that these things happen in every game and they are illegal and they're not being um, they're not being penalised, I suppose. Completely, and that's, that's kind of why I, I drew attention to it in the first place, really, because like, I was being a bit salty about it, but it was, yeah, it, it, it annoys me when I see things like that and it's right in front of the ref and we're supposed to be, you know, in... A culture of, of rugby that's changing to become safer and to, to prioritise player safety. And you know, we're less than a couple of months away from, you know, so you know, on Welsh and Sam retiring mm. in large part because, you know, of him sticking his head into rucks and getting smashed off it in that kind of dangerous and illegal way, and nothing happening, and him having to absorb that level of punishment. And yeah, it's frustrating. I think that's kind of why I bit on on Austin's response. To be yeah, um, and it. From there, because it, it annoys me when you know I so I, I get it when these these sort of guys who played a, a few years ago sort of look at that and go, oh, well, it wasn't like they, you know, you get away with the penalties that wasn't anything. That's just a good hit. That's just a good clear out. Whatever. Mm. Like rugby has changed a lot, you know, even in the last year or two, you know, in, in attitudes to contact with the head and stuff like that. But the dangerous clear out thing is probably even more, you know overtly dangerous in terms of the things that can happen if you can smash somebody who's just prone on a ruck with his ribs or his back or his shoulder or whatever exposed. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. And I think there's there's not enough, as you say, commentators don't notice it, pundits don't notice it, pundits think it's fine. And it's, it's an incredibly sort of attritional part of our sport that's going to have to change and needs to change and, and if commentators and pundits aren't helping to raise awareness of that I think that's just kind of yeah it wants to be honest to be honest on that point actually I think that's a really interesting argument because I mean look at today for example when we saw what Anthony Fianga said about concussion and I'm wondering in your yeah. own opinion to what extent do you think pundits like that have actually a responsibility to speak out against this kind of thing like especially no matter what we kind of in the media say, is there an onus on former players or people who kind of look like icons of sport to actually speak out against this? Absolutely. Like, I think one of the most helpful things in this whole debate has been, like, players who have retired, you know, as horrible as it is, you know, players who have to retire because of whether it be concussion-related symptoms or, you know, somebody like what such as you know, nutrition damage that rugby does to the body. Like, it's important that these guys speak out and say things and then, but it's also important that the guys who are already there, you know, that the pundits that have, uh, have been around for a couple of years now, but maybe played 10, 15 years ago, can listen to these guys. Because the, the level of punishment that, like, a current player's body is taking is not like it was 15, 20 years ago. You know, it's, it's much worse <laughs> than it ever was. And the size of the guys and the strength of the guys and the, the 
the power that they're hitting each other with, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary, you know, and it's, yeah. it's the sort of thing where we're looking down at the future of rugby and we're thinking, is our sport going to, if something doesn't change, is our sport really going to exist in, you know, 50, 20 years, 20 years, people will just think, no, it's too dangerous. More people are getting insured. And so it's really important for people like Austin or anybody that's got a sort of public voice who is an ex-player has been there to sort of, I think they have got a responsibility. They've got a responsibility to the guys that are coming after them, but they're not, you know, spending their 50s and 60s in wheelchairs. You know, it's, it's not, it's that serious. And I don't think it's really something that they could be slipping to that. Yeah, because it's not like it, it. It is a bigger issue than you know. Somebody like Healy is always going to be you know grab headlines and, and take an extreme view. But it, it is more important that it is a kind of a general kind of pundit's view. Yeah. I've heard I, like I've heard Brian O'Driscoll like really kind of like you know say you know in in a very in in not in a, in an aggressive way or not in a dismissive way, but just kind of like disagreeing with the way we would think about something like that is just not that big a deal, you know, because that's the entire way he played yeah. his career the entire way through. Certainly. But it, it and, and sometimes one of the problems then as well is that it does become a little bit parochial because these, you know, people who are, who you know, especially people who earn their living about it, you know, they're not going to analyze a game in a parochial way because their job is to analyze rugby. But what they do is they, they can be very protective of people from their own country. Yeah. And I definitely see it in Ireland as well. Absolutely. So there's no point in pretending it's an English issue or a Welsh issue or anything like that. No, you, it's, you, it's, you, it's, you don't want to act like somebody has gone and done something unforgivable and you never want to make those, no, you know, exactly. you know, it's too small a world. Yeah, exactly. And, you, and, I, and I get, and that's, that's part of the problem with, you know, literally drawing so heavily from recently retired players is that, you know, it's often the sort of jokey cliche that they're all mates with off these players and so that's why they were the same thing bad about them. But, you know, it's, it's a human thing. You don't want to, you know, if you're friends with somebody, you're, you know, mixed socially with somebody, you don't want to you know, slate them and say that they've, you know, they should be banned for weeks or, you know, want to, you know, go before some sort of board or something or another. It's a natural human thing. You don't want to do that. But at the same time, they've got to, look at what the rules of the game are now compared to what the rules of the game were when they were playing and try to sort of reflect that without, as you say, being too parochial or too condemning one way or another. And it is a, I, I appreciate it for that. I've got a lot of sympathy for it. It's a, a tightrope that these guys have got to walk, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. Like again, yeah, it's it's without kind of vilifying them too much as well. It's not their fault, but it is definitely yeah. a problem because if they don't kind of make this a known issue, then you're always going to have the people, you know, like the, the Twitter verse, which isn't a, an amazing sample always, but like, they're always going to take, no. they're always going to take the side of the ex pro who knows what they're talking about. And where does the public, yeah. where does the momentum come then for a real, either rule switch or rules implementation? Exactly. It's the, it's the, you know, classic sort of ex player to sports journalist or funded or whatever thing, you know, when did you ever play the game? What thing that? play the game at on that sort of quite reductive, quite unhelpful sort of stuff. But it resonates with people when, you know, somebody says, oh, well, you don't play the game, what if you don't? But the reality is that, you know, these people who, you know, like Ross Tucker, who, <laughs> who are experts in mm. their field, they know, what they know what they're talking about better than somebody who played the game 15, 20 years ago and, you know, might not appreciate the level of punishment the current players are taking and all of that sort of stuff josh um you're a uh, welshman um living in england i, I believe despite, you, my yeah. despite my accent i am and, and live, living in England and, uh, you know, talking about rugby on a, on a podcast and running a rugby website. So, um, it, look, I mean, from the first weekend of the Six Nations, it's looking like that middle week, that between the gap week showdown between England and Wales and Cardiff looks like it's going to be probably the biggest game of this year's championship. Um, but, you know, your thoughts on England then, um, as someone living there, like I have to say I was blown away by how good they were. I just didn't think, I knew they were going to be specifically up for this game and that they'd bring a, kind yeah, of a new level, but I didn't think they were as good yeah. as they were. I know, absolutely sickening. Couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear because I, th um, I think the Welsh have turned on Ireland more than they hate England these days, I have to say. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Whatever, whatever enmity might be there, don't, don't ever get there's still, you know, there's still a there, and uh, yeah, no, it made me absolutely sick. Um, but you've got to take it, you know, they played fantastically well. They were 
they came out with a, a level of ferocity that I've rarely seen them play with and I've seen many teams play with to be honest and if they can keep that level up for the entire tournament into the World Cup and um, depressingly they're going to be pretty scary I think um, but yeah it, it's interesting it'll be interesting to see what happens in Cardiff in a couple of weeks I am um, as a, a Welsh person and a pessimistic person uh, I'm already <laughs> dreading it uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be optimistic about the Wales match in my life um, but it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a hell of a game, isn't it? In terms of the physicality involved, you know, Wales in in the Gatland era have never really shied away from fronting up to people physically, mm. and if bring that same level of physicality that they brought against Ireland, it's going to be an absolute carnage out there. But yeah, it'll it'll be a proper test match, and I guess in the Six Nations, that's kind of what you're hoping for, isn't it? Well, and on that, you know, what does that speak to in terms of the, like the that you know this the slur about uh, Warren Ball that we kind of hear a lot. Like, there seems to be a definite evolution away from that. We even saw like players like Ansem coming into the team and maybe trying to spread the ball a bit wider to free up players like North. Like, when you consider the way that England played last weekend, would you see maybe a a regression in Wales to try and match that to come next week or in the week after? I think, regardless of whatever kind of ornaments that Warren Gatlin puts onto his uh onto his Welsh team and and you know they they have tried definitely tried to play a more expansive game in the last eighteen months with mixed results. Like Warren Gatlin is Warren Gatlin at the end of the day. <laughs> and his for his his job number one for his team will be you win the physical battle first and then then you play rugby. And so yeah, if he's looking at that Welsh squad if he's looking at that England team and thinking that they're gonna come to basically try and smash them off the park like they did with Ireland. You know, the difference is that they're not going to be shocking anybody this time. I think, you know, they surprised Ireland and probably everybody else with the level of physicality that they brought and the intensity that they brought on defence. Nobody's going to, you know, France aren't going to be surprised by this on the weekend. Wales aren't going to be surprised about it in a couple of weeks' time. And, yeah, Gatland will definitely be looking at that and going, well, if they want to go toe-to-toe, we'll go toe-to-toe and see what happens. And, yeah, I don't imagine it's going to be a particularly pretty game. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's probably the same way that the match on the weekend wasn't particularly pretty, but it was very compelling. Exactly. Nations in terms of its sexy running rugby reputation, but yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, still a good rugby game as far as I'm concerned. As a self-proclaimed um, pessimistic Welsh fan, then it hasn't been the worst. Uh, it hasn't been the worst few years with Warren Gatland. Is there? Is there any kind of? Um, I think the rest of the Six Nations will be happy to see the the end of his cranky arse. But um, for you, is there kind of any misty-eyed sort of romanticism about this being the last Six Nations with Warren of Warren Ball? There's one. There's one thing about Warren Gatland is that he doesn't inspire a great deal of sentimentality. Um, <laughs> not his word. <laughs> yeah, it's not his thing, is it? Um, well, I think, you know, Warren is very, you know, he is what he is. And I think he's been, you know, look at where we were before he came in. Yeah. Um, and look at where we are now in terms of just being professional outfit, to be honest, who look like we can defend, who look like we know what we're doing. Like, compare that to the, the sort of 2007 an era of just absolute clown car comedy farce like I think once he's gone he's one of those coaches that in the same way that Graham Henry like is looked back on that you know it all ended quite badly with Graham Henry at Wales but now people look back and go oh yeah well did do quite a lot in bringing Welsh rugby into the 20th century it's not quite the 21st and I think with Gatland as well you know he's not been well loved by the Welsh public particularly in the last couple of years where it's been where they've struggled to sort of replicate the success of the first couple of years but um, you know it's it's it, when you look back at it he's achieved an awful lot in his time as Wales coach and he's done an awful lot to bring Welsh rugby forward and he's created a good foundation for Wayne Pivak to build on so yeah I, I guess we'll see but uh, I, I, yeah weirdly I am quite nostalgic about it it's like it's, it's going to be weird seeing him not seeing him sitting up there looking grumpy next to Sean Edwards next year, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I think honestly, I think uh, he's like one of those characters. Talking about Bill Belichick a lot this week in from the NFL, I think he's one of those characters yeah, yeah. that will be missed when he's gone and respected a lot more when he's yeah. gone as well. You know, because I think yeah. when when you're not the most likable guy 
it's easy to dismiss or, or not consider achievements. But I think once you're gone, that that it's only the achievements you remember, you know. Um, Josh, before I let you go, yeah. um, rugbyshirtwatch.com is your is the, the other uh, you run that as well as has been half of the the Blood and Mud podcast. Um, I want to know what you think of this year's jerseys because I was talking about how other than Scotland, everybody's back in their traditional colours, which is which is good to see. I think it's it's the first time I think that everybody has their the right colours in a while again. Scotland wearing the blue shorts, white socks. Don't know about that, um, but I have yeah. to say the worst jersey in the Six Nations by a mile for me is the Ireland jersey. It's like something from the Little Mermaid or something. What do you think of it? <laughs> I I honestly think that like. Something I, I sort of pretty much end up saying whenever we're talking about kind of test team jerseys uh, on rugby shirt watches that like the, it, designing test jerseys is the most thankless job imaginable because you can't like you can't really win if you go super traditional then you get a certain section of people that love it you know I, I kind of lean more towards that if I'm totally honest I prefer right. when they're kind of a little bit more classic. But then you get people going, oh, boring, same old shit as last year. And then you get something, when they try something a little bit different, you know, you get the other half of people going, oh, surrender, what are you doing to us? <laughs> so good, beautiful, love. And yeah, I think this year's Island shirt is not a classic. It's, it's, they tried a little bit too hard to go down the sort of modelist route, which can sometimes work, but with test jerseys, doesn't always. It's something that's kind of plagued Wales jerseys for the last. Mm. Sort of the entire really is just trying a little bit too hard and doing a little bit too much and ended up looking a little bit kind of tacky and a little bit plasticky and I kind of feel like the Ireland shirt is slightly suffering from that this year certainly in comparison to the first couple of years of Canterbury stuff so yeah but it's uh, <laughs> I mean the, both the bad and good thing about rugby shirts is that you know they're basically changing them every year now yeah so, yeah there'll be a lot more for the World Cup like yeah <laughs> The thing in itself, you know, test jerseys being changed every year when they're being worn like a half dozen times mm. is pretty mental. But, oh, yeah. Um, is what it is, you know, it's, it's the modern nature of commercially, I guess. But, yeah, it's, it's you know, like you said, there'll be another one in, in probably November as well. There'll definitely be another one. I, I, think, November, I think we did. Sorry. I think we disagree on the, uh, first of all, the England jersey was a weird one to me because I kept thinking that, like, own uh, Farrell had a nosebleed or something when I was watching the game on Saturday. It was like, and it's like it just seemed like oh wait, I was like, how is everybody splattered in blood? But no, it's it's just the design, um, which is fine. I don't have a problem with it. It was just confusing. But I think we disagree on the France jersey because I saw you calling it like a cheap knockoff, oh, uh, you know, oh, off brand jersey. Absolutely hate that thing. Oh, the problem is, reminds me of the nineties. Like, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind it so much if it wasn't for that massive collar packet thing that they've got. This big white thing. It looks like a pie. And it's just way too big. It's like, it's about half the size. It's lovely. Yeah. But as it is, they just look like sort of, they've come from their waiter job and there's this set of the deal by accident. But uh, yeah, it's a shame actually because the Cube Spotties have a great pedigree with France. And yeah. you know, did it in the. 70s and the 80s and I was kind of hoping for something very retro you've sort of done something a bit retro but also a little bit modern and that's usually a recipe that's master yeah well, look, rugbyshirtwatch.com is where you can go and see see more of your your thoughts on it. Um, I, I'm sure if we went down, if we went down, much, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, we all have our interests, and this is definitely one of my. I'm sure if, if 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 we went down the club angle, we could be here like forever. So I'm just going to say, you're saying that oh, there, God, yeah. it can be too specific with tests. But what's your favorite uh, favorite ever test jersey? I know you have a list somewhere, Josh. <laughs> I've got a list. I mean, I've got like a like I've got a weird soft spot for the sort of the '99 World Cup era mm. shirts. I think that was kind of almost the high point of one that's been just before they became sort of super tight. Yeah, but when they were still, the full cotton jerseys and they were still, but they were slightly more form fitting. So kind of like got a lot of time to like the South Africa jerseys from that World Cup. The Nike was very good. The England one wasn't bad either. Yeah, that, that that kind of era. I'm not so much like specific jerseys, but like specific eras and that kind of 99, 98, 99 era sort of best jerseys kind of where it's at to be, I think. Well, great stuff. As I said, rugbyshirtwatch.com and the Blood and Mud podcast. Uh, Josh Gardner, thanks a million for taking our call. Pleasure, yeah. Thanks for having me.
Great stuff from Josh there. Um, <laughs> we won't go back into Austin Healy Gate, but the I have to say I get fascinated by the jerseys. I know people think I'm a weirdo about that stuff, but one I like the kind of bit of tradition as we were talking about yeah. there. But two, I don't mind a little bit of design here and there. But like for me, like one of the nicest jerseys the last few years was when Scotland went back to white collar, hard white collar, normal shirts, white shorts, blue socks, and they just looked like. A proper jersey again, but there was really no design in that jersey. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm, I'm very anti this kind of uh, anti collar agenda that has crept into <laughs> yeah. recent. Like, I think my favorite jersey is such a stereotype, but it's the the All Blacks jersey which had the the collar as well, and then they obviously deviated away from that. Yeah. They went back to it for a little bit, but then they yeah. went all black. Yeah, yeah exactly, like really yeah. <laughs> hard the fun, <laughs> except for the feather. Yeah, so since then, then I actually disagree with you on the Ireland jersey as well. I don't think it's that. Yeah. Bad. I think like there's something kind of sleek about the design. I think like the biggest flaw that a lot of jerseys have is really hard to kind of match your colors. So mm. if you're like you mentioned the short socks combo, another one is like your sponsors jersey combo. All yeah. this kind of stuff. Like trying to get that balance right can really offset a jersey. Like yeah. when Ireland had the O2 on the front of the jersey, it made it a lot easier because they it's could just white color. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or on the away, the blue away one that they had at the time, it was just black. Yeah. So there was no deviation in terms of, you know, like the symbol didn't have to yeah. necessarily change. Whereas yeah, the red Vodafone is there, which probably pushes us towards that kind of shade of green yeah. because they do clash as colors. If it was uh, like the 2003 Ireland jersey. Do you remember this one I'm talking about? No. The World Cup 2003. And it was it was kind of the same jersey with slight tweaks for the previous kind of maybe since maybe 2001. And it was like, it was Irish permanent, which morphed into O2. And it was a hard white collar, a, a kind of a bright green. Yeah. I, much I, brighter I green. Like it just, Keywood, key wood, it? Yeah. Is what yeah. I was going <laughs> to say. Keywood, Anthony Foley, uh, that era, early Raj. Um, and, and white down the side as well. Oh, that was a lovely jersey. That was really nice. And it's funny to say the 99 World Cup because I was thinking about France. I'm not sure if it was exactly that World Cup, but I saw somebody wearing it recently. It was a really baggy, it reminds me of like Thomas Castagnet yeah. in this kind of like uh, French. It was a blue jersey, white collar, everything's very nice, a red stripe across the top. And then for no kind of real reason at all, a navy blue or kind of black stripe, stripe yeah, going across as well. One, yeah. But it was lovely. But, do you think but it was always huge on players. When you look back at it now, you're going, what were they doing wearing these like double XL jerseys? Do you think the, uh, the, like, the, those kind of old retro jerseys that you now think are lovely were as well received at the time? Like I'm wondering, will this current French jersey when in ten years will that be the hipsters jersey of choice for rugby? Like, is yeah. that the, do you remember that old French jersey with the with the white flag yeah. in the middle of it? Rugby jerseys are just a lot harder to wear as a recreational thing as these days, anyway, item. aren't yeah, they? Because yeah. like you could probably wear them to the gym, but not like I definitely can't wear yeah. any rugby jerseys <laughs> these days. You can't wear. Uh, <laughs> You can't wear any skin tight jersey. You can't wear any skin tight artists in general. Just to work, like yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it's just yeah. like oh, I'm popping it. Like I'm going, I'm going, or I'm going for a drink, like in my skin tight <laughs> muscle wrapping uh, Ireland jersey. No thanks. So yeah, that's where rugby are falling down. Um, anyway, look, we could rugby talk fashion. About, yeah, we, we could talk. We could talk about jerseys um, all night. But before we go. We have the return of a very special feature, as I mentioned earlier. We uh, had the Morris's rolling team of the November internationals back in November, shockingly enough. And now we're going to bring that forward to the Six Nations. We've had one week. It's been disappointing for Ireland. I don't think there's going to be as many players as there was in the November team, at least to start off with. But would you please, Morris, present to us your rolling team of the November of the Six Nations <laughs> so far after week one. Sure. So I'm gonna st- I'll just run through the team and you can pull me up on contentions yeah. afterwards and uh, I'll explain if there's anything that's overly glaring. I'll explain it at the time. Okay. Short hog at 15. I think that makes sense. Okay. On the wing, uh, I've got Bear Kinghorn and Johnny May. I know they both played at 11 last weekend, but Kinghorn can cover across and I think they're two players that kind of have to get in. Yeah. So the one. Well, May and Noel were named on the opposite wings and yeah. switched. I mean, Dave McIntyre said that early in the commentary, like you and know, he, so uh, yeah. It's not he, like you can if he can't play 14 anyway. Exactly. And I mean, Bear Kinghorn can cover all three. Like, he's played a fullback before as well. Uh, moving on to your centres, Slade and Tulagi. I think that's very self-explanatory. Slade and Tulagi, yeah. England uh, domination performance. I have to say, though, Ringrose would be the only Irish player I'd even consider. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't have him ahead of Slade, but he was brilliant. Oh, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think his um, his contribution on like both sides of the ball now yeah. is something like the... When he first broke through, it was like this real fleet-footed, amazing attacker who kind of breaks in the same way that Jordan Armour does now. But now there was a moment in the game where Stockdale just took off by himself. The wall was going wide and mm. kind of carried in field and the, you could see there was kind of uncertainty about what he was going to do and got himself isolated 
and there was a clear out. And at the for first, I was when you see it in real time, you were thinking, is that one of the back rows? Because it's just like this awesome clear out. It just bombs two flankers out, mm. and then you see it as a replay, and it's ring rows, which is this amazing rook, like his support lines, but also ability to contribute in the breakdown. And then yeah. even this in defense, just straight up tackling was just that, that hit on fire in the second half was, yeah. was pretty phenomenal. I don't mean to compare because it's really unfair on ring rows. It's really unfair on Brian O'Driscoll as well. But just to bring him in, like the the comparison here is that Brian O'Driscoll. The longer he played, the more his defense improved. Yeah, that's and very true. Yeah. While he possibly was a less flashy rugby player, like in still, you know, he's the best player Ireland have ever had. Mm. Like, let's face it, and that's not changing immediately, um, at least. But you know, he could do everything. But yeah. he, as his defense improved, he became less visible, but became a better rugby player and became more, even more respected across the board. Like, and that's what I feel like Ringrose is doing that even at an earlier stage now where he's defense first. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's fine. Like, because he's always going to be able to do the other stuff. Like, and I, you know? I guess if this, like, if this is going to be the new Irish defensive system where we're going to have shoot up players, like you need players with pace as well as power in your defensive line. And mm. he's a guy who can do that. Then, you know, that iconic or just go, dart out of the line to try and shun the ball back inside and stop them getting with. He's a guy who can do that as well. Mm. Like, not that the comparison is, as you said, you know, reasonable or fair. Um, moving on to your halfbacks. Yeah. It's all England again. Ben Young's an own foul. Um, then front row, Macro Vinopola, Gerlandini from Italy and Kyle Sinclair. And second row, Adam Wynne-Jones and Grant Gilkirst. And a back row of Wilson, Tipperick and Piccamo, Louis Piccamo from France. Yeah. Um. To exp- like explain a couple of those, I think Geraldini is probably one that's going to stand out. But this is an amazing stat. I just looked back at it this morning to make sure I had this right. Only one team hit every single lineout at the weekend, mm. and it was Italy. Right. And Geraldini also made seventeen tackles. He only missed two. I think he, in the same vein as like uh, Sergio Parise, he's kind of like a old patron of that team who you kind of can appreciate just how good he is even though he might be playing in a limited system. Yeah. So I also don't think the standard of hookers this weekend was that great. I think his main competition is probably Jamie George, who was very good against yeah. Ireland. And I think Dylan Hartley's going to have a massive job trying to get back in there. I think, I think it's a fair enough call though. And I think one of the things we talked about on uh, Thursday on a different show, if people will have seen it, was how without a doubt the bet of the weekend and the, the, the easiest money you'd ever win was back in Italy plus 27 to cover, yeah. um, to cover the spread against Scotland, which they did handily, obviously. And, um, you know, I just, like Italy are never going to be that bad in the first week of it. And, and they did have some good performances though. Yeah. And the, I mean, they like really tore loose towards the end of that game and uh, started stringing stuff together. Um, the other, I suppose, kind of bones of contention, maybe Adam and Jones and Grant Gilchrist in the second row. I, people were probably thinking about Itoji, but I think if Wynne Jones didn't play, Wales would have lost to France, which mm. is why I included him there. Like the, I thought that the time he held up Pickamo, like Pickamo had been amazing all game. And then in the second half, he does that same dart off the back and he's held he's held up and they turned the ball over and you see it was Wynn Jones made he made the call audibly like you could pick him up on the ref mic call him up and he yeah. was or, like he didn't just whatever about the physical prowess to do it it was kind of this you know mental ability to spot the opportunity was there and then to you know organise it as well as do it like it's yeah. a teammate involved thing so I think his probably full value for that Um, then the only other one that I think is Start picking was Pickmo, but I don't think you can punish him for France's collapse. <laughs> no, you have to also remember that France, like, were winning sixteen nil at half time and looking like the France of old. Yeah. Almost that forty minutes counts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like it does, and <laughs> they played pretty well in that game. Um, okay, that's great. Um, we'll we'll be doing this every week, and we'll we'll fly through it. But we'll also have it up on on balls at e. You mm-hmm. can check it out, and you can follow it along, and definitely send in your um, send in your suggestions. You know, you don't have to be angry if you disagree, okay? But if you disagree, send them to Morris. Morris at balls.ie. Yeah, that can do it. Yeah, yeah he can yeah. say, yeah, he's, he's looking at me uh, like as in, why'd you give my email away? But um, Morris at balls.ie. Also, that kind of means you can figure out everybody at balls.ie's email address. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, send that to him or, or tweet him. Um, any suggestions would be great to get you involved in over the course of the Six Nations in this. Um, Morris, before we go, I only want to talk about one more thing. Well, two more things really was the other Ireland matches that happened at the week and before the weekend on Friday um, the women's game 
we kind of knew what was in store really yeah. a young Ireland team like very much the next generation and um, putting it up against what are basically the all blacks of the women's game in England they probably were never going to win that game they played well though like they actually hung in there and, and yeah, gave see, a good performance I think performance. there's two ways you can look at this I think there's two ways that this game was going to be analysed either people are going to look at the scoreline and look at them being hammered and think oh like typical or they're going to actually delve into it and see three new debutants Alison Miller just back to fitness also like you have to take in context of how Irish, like Irish Mungie be very clear where their priorities lie so mm. you at the same weekend sevens. the Sevens yeah. and the Sydney Sevens make a semi-final you for get the first like, time yeah, yeah you something like um, players like Eve Higgins like a 19 year old 19 and was tearing it up over there like that so you have to take I don't think you can just look at a scoreline and you know have your takeaway from that as, as a whole you gotta kind of look at the bigger picture in a situation like that um as the, for the other results, I thought the under-20s were amazing. Yeah, so I went to the uh, to Cork for the under-20s. We're going to have a um, a video you'll see across our social channels on, on, on site tomorrow um, about just what was a brilliant occasion. We yeah. wanted to go down there because it was its first time in Cork. It's kind of, it's the first time Cork have had a major game other than a kind of a Munster Pro 14 game in a good long time. And there was a real, real buzz. It was a big crowd in. There was like 6,000 in there. It was... It was just such an exciting game. And I hadn't seen any of these guys really play before. Maybe maybe one game here or there. I think I saw like in, in the, the Harry Byrne would have been playing in the, the Junior World Cup last year. Um, but other than that, I hadn't seen any of these guys play. And we went down like we were down 14-3 and then went up and got a try. And England literally went up the other end and scored again. And it was like, oh my God. So it was like 21-10. And you're thinking, Ireland have a lot of work to do here. Yeah. But... All three tries came from mistakes, and then the mistakes stopped. And they were absolutely phenomenal. There was just, and they were just, they worked so hard as a team. They were very, very accurate, other than those kind of three mistakes that they were punished for them all. They were a better team on the night than what was such a fancied England team. We've been talking, we'd been talking about that in the office. We had, um, Bernard Jackman in talking to us about these couple of English players that were already at like senior premiership Playing level that Europe, we knew Marcus about. Smith, yeah. yeah, and like Ireland were as good as them. You know, Harry Byrne to me looks like he's going to be a star. You know, he ha- he made a few mistakes in the game, but you expect that at this age, yeah. especially at under, tw- especially at out half. But he's got a line break. He's got great angles. He's got a good kicking game. He's big and he's fast. Lovely passer. Good kicker from from the tee. He's got it all, you know. This guy looks really, really good. Other than that, Jake Flannery, full back from Munster, was really, yeah. really, really strong. Um, David Hawkshaw is the captain, uh, centre from like he's a wiry, small kind of player who did good and bad things, but when he's good, he's really exciting. Yeah, you know? and I suppose, in, especially for Hawkshaw, like Hawkshaw is uh, out half by trade. He's only playing there to fit in yeah. Burn and uh, like he, a uh, guy who played a lot of hurling as a young lad, for yeah, playing thing, but to. I think that is kind of a testament. That kind of versatility is probably a testament to what's something that you have to try and develop at that age group anyway. Yeah, and the other people then just, mm-hmm. like, I'll briefly, briefly go by Craig Casey and Munster Scrum Half was absolutely wonderful. Really good performances throughout the pack, I would say, but who stood out and who got man of the match on the day is uh, Dylan Tierney-Martin from Connacht, a guy you know pretty well and I've written a piece about that you yeah. can read up on Balls of the at the moment as well. Yes, yeah, so and like that, that actually, it's funny you mentioned him on the same idea as Hackshaw, kind of a different position. Like, um, he missed out on he was in number seven all the way growing up with the Corinthians and the Connacht Academy and just last year was told to swap position basically to become a hooker and off the back of that got called into the Ireland under 19s and now off the back of that then because of the injury crisis during the Junior World Cup came in there and play, so he's he's got experience at this level too which I think was telling you could kind of see that at the weekend he was very calm even when they were down I thought his uh, his breakdown work was really really strong yeah. obviously the two tries came off like that was panic kind of pack dominated tries for, yeah. for, for him but I suppose again like going back to that idea that for this under 20 like the, it was funny when we spoke to Noel McNamara a couple of weeks ago who's coaching this team he really really stressed that you know their success for them is twofold like there's the idea of succeeding on the team but there's also the idea of developing players to become like maximize the utensils at their disposal so if that's a guy who's better suited to play in the front row than the back row it's about you know encouraging that transition yeah. and maximizing that or similarly a guy like Hackshaw who might be able to cover like a array of positions mm. whereas you've got somebody like Harry Byrne who's just an out and out 10 and a brilliant one at that yeah and you try and develop around that so I think there's a there's a really nice emphasis within that group as well there's, it's really player-led I think the captain picking process this year was actually picked by players as opposed mm. to management so they've they've got massive input into training camps and that kind of stuff as well like there's a 
There's a really good feel about that group right now. Yeah, and uh, look, it was a surprise win and it sets them massively up for the Six Nations now and there's a lot of good players in there but definitely a good team, as yeah. you say. And it's funny, Tierney Martin, like, it's like, you know, you're playing at under-20s level where most of the crowd don't know, you know, other than the friends and family sure, yeah. that are there don't know the players and other than the kind of Cork guys and it was great that French, the Cork guy, got the, the winning try. Yeah, that was yeah, a nice Sean, little yeah. bonus to the, to the end of the game. But the um, when you're watching, you know, I'll know a good. I'll know a good performance. But if I'm there at a game and I'm watching Peter O'Matney dominate, I know it's Peter O'Matney, and I'm seeing and I'm seeing him. You know, I don't just need the number the six yeah, to see yeah. it. I know what he's doing and what he is. And if he comes off, I'd expect a, a standing ovation for him if he has the big game. It's less so obvious in this when you don't know the players because it's like every time you have to check to yourself, who's the, which one is yeah, he? Yeah. You know, and 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 you get lost in the game. You don't think it, but. Um, Tierney Martin's performance was so good that when everybody got clapped off the field when they were coming off injured he got like the full on standing ovation yeah, you yeah. know and that just shows you for a hooker who's doing most of his work in the tight and nobody knows who he is that shows you the kind of performance he had you but know it was yeah. just a lot of effort and heart and everything else that goes with it so um, yeah God I have to say I got really into it and I was absolutely delighted for them we were there working it wasn't you know kind of um it wasn't the kind of a let's go down to Cork to see the under sure, 20s sure. Like it, it, it was work but my god we got wrapped up in it and by the end we were barely doing our jobs to be <laughs> honest you know we're on like no cheering in the press box lads but uh, yeah no everybody was there wasn't that many there so we were doing a bit of cheering you know um, so a really really great performance by them that kind of wraps us up for today we've done a lot we've talked about a lot it's not been the greatest you know there hasn't been as, as much buzz in the air, I suppose, as there has been most weeks after yeah. an Ireland game recently. But, you know, we live to fight another day. We go to scary, scary, bloody Murrayfield uh, <laughs> next. And sure, we'll see what happens. But either way, we'll be back with you early next week um, on Tuesday. And uh, from myself and from Morris, have a good week and we'll see you then. <laughs>